the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to Practical Living with Dale O'Shield, Senior Pastor of Church of the Redeemer in Maryland. We pray that through this message, you will learn how to apply God's Word and truth to your life. Stay with us as we discover God's truths that will transform us. Two things I want to talk about for the next couple of moments. The first one is a bit introductory to the second major point that we'll look at together. Number one, you must understand that the Lord wants to build your house, your house. The Bible makes it clear that some people build houses with God and some people build houses without God. There's some dimension of either connecting with God or failing to do so that is having an impact upon your house, your own life, your family, the work that you do with your hands, the labor that God has given you to do, and the work of His kingdom. So all of these areas are being impacted by who you're partnering with. Are you partnering with God? Jesus made it very clear that we can build with God or build without God when it comes to our houses. Notice his words in Matthew chapter 7 as a part of the great sermon on the mount where Jesus made this statement, verses 24 through 27. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. So he's talking about building of a house. The rain came, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. Jesus taught us that how we build, whether with God or without God, will have consequences in our life. And you can look at two houses and from the outside not know what the foundation is until the storms beat upon that house. And then it is at that point that there will be the reality of whether the house is built by God or the house is built on a, a foundation that is sinking sand. So the question becomes, how are you building your house? Are you building your house with God? Or are you trying to build your house without God? Are you partially trying to invite God into the building process? Or are you wholeheartedly allowing God to be a part of building your house with you? The second thing I want to share with you today is that for God to build our house, you and I need to practice the attitudes and the actions that actually invite God's presence into our house. Unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labor in vain, Unless the Lord watches over the city, the guard stands watch in vain. So you see again that God, God's desire is to be involved in this building and keeping process. But there are things that we do that will allow God to work with us in the building process. I'm going to share with you some words before we get to the main points. For God to be present in your house. How many of you want your house to be a place for God? Do you want your house to be God's house, right? Okay. For God to be present in your house, there are three things that have to be in, in place attitudinally in your life. You have to want God in your house. You have to welcome God in your house. And you have to worship God in your house. 
Because when God is present in your house, amazing things happen. Do you know that the presence of God in your house brings blessing? The presence of God in your house makes all the difference in the world, whether it's your own individual life or your family, or it's the work that you do or the service that you render to God. Having God present in your house is what opens you for the blessing of God upon your house. Presence equals blessing. I'm going to take you back to an Old Testament story in 2 Samuel in just a moment. Let me give you the background of this story and the verse that we'll read in just a bit. At the beginning of the time of the nation of Israel, when they became a monarchy, they had their first king. God appointed a king by the name of Saul, and Saul reigned for 40 years. And Saul did some good things, but toward the latter years of his life, he really missed the mark with God, and some bad things happened in Saul's life. And part of what was the, what, one of the characteristics of Saul's life is he never really had a hunger for the presence of God. And because of that, he never made the ark of God's covenant central to Israel's worship during the time he was king. Now, the ark of the presence of God goes back to the time of Moses, and it was the ark of the covenant. The ark of the covenant was the symbol or the representation or the presence of God in Israel. And so it was a part of the tabernacle of Moses. And every time they would set up a point of worship, Israel would, they would always put the ark there. And there at the ark was the Holy of Holies. And they would come into the presence of God with worship. And so it represented God's house or God's presence. And so Saul, during the time he was king of Israel, never once thought about the ark, never inquired about the ark of God, never did anything to establish a sense dimension of worship for Israel. He never gave any consideration to the presence of God. He just went about his stuff as king. Of course, when Saul finally died and David now comes on the scene as the second king of Israel, King David, one of the first things that David did is he starts asking about the ark. Where's the ark at? I've got to find the ark. We've got to get the ark and bring it to Jerusalem. We've got to have the ark in Jerusalem. And he established something that we often refer to as the tabernacle of David actually in Jerusalem. That's a whole other teaching in and of itself. But when David first inquired about the ark, and the ark of God represents the presence of God. So you've got to get that equation there. So when David starts asking, where's the ark? Where's the ark? You've got to get the ark, bring it to Jerusalem. He finds out where the ark is, and he sends some guys to go get it. But he doesn't take the time to actually determine the right way to move the ark. Because the ark represented the holiness of God, the presence of God. And so he sent some guys with a cart and some oxen, and they put the ark on an ox cart. And the oxen started carrying the ark toward Jerusalem. And the, the oxen stumbled, and the cart started to slip off. And a couple of the guys reach over and try to steady it and they touched the presence of God and they died and David thought my goodness what is that all about these guys are dead now and I must not be doing this thing the right way he had the right heart he wanted the right thing but he wasn't doing it the right way okay he wanted the right thing but he wasn't going about it the right way and so he's confused he's trying to figure out what's going on and so while he's trying to figure this out he says we're going to just let the ark rest right here until I can figure out how to get this thing to Jerusalem the right way, because he had to go back and study the scriptures and figure out how to get the ark there. And so he left it at the house of a man by the name of Obed-Edom. And so now Obed-Edom has the ark of God's covenant in his backyard. Can you imagine that? And I want you now to go with me to Second Samuel. Let's take a look, if you will, at chapter 6, verse number 11. I want you to notice what happens in this situation because of the ark, the presence of God. The ark of the Lord remained in the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite, for how long? For 
three months and read the rest with me. And the Lord blessed him and his entire household. Obed-Edom said, man, this ark thing is really good because it's sitting in my yard and ever since it arrived in my house, my house is a different place. So Obed-Edom is looking at this situation and the only thing that's changed for those three months, what has changed? What is different on those three months? One thing is different. What is present in the yard of Obed-Edom? The presence of Almighty God. Let me tell you something, dear ones. The presence of God brings blessing with it. That's why you and I need to pursue the presence of God. That's why we want his, our house to be His house. We want the ark of His presence to be in our homes. It's valuable to us. It brings blessing to our lives. So how do we actually do this? What steps do we take that will allow us to welcome the presence of God into our house? Let me give you six things. I'm going to ask you to read them together with me across our campuses. Let's read it. Number one, you need to show, read with me, show God that you need Him, you depend on Him, and that you trust Him. Circle the word show. I didn't say tell God. The word there is show God. Show God that you need Him, that you depend upon Him, and that you trust Him. You know, it's so easy to say, God, hey, God, I love you. But it's a different thing when you actually live the life that demonstrates that you actually are showing God that you need Him, that you depend on Him, and that you trust Him. The way that you do that is you make God a priority in your life. And the way you make God a priority in your life, it is reflected in the way you spend your time and the way you spend your treasure, that is your your financial resources, and the way you spend your talents, your capacities, your energies, okay? Whatever energy that God has given you in life, that's an investment. James 4 verse 6 says, God opposes the proud. Proud means lots of different things, arrogance and a variety of things we could talk about. But one of the things that pride also represents is an independence from God, that I can live life on my own. God opposes the people who are independent of Him, but shows favor or shows grace to the humble, those who are dependent upon Him. Psalm 115, verses 9 through 11. O house of Israel, notice house of Israel, trust in the Lord. He is their help and shield. O house of Aaron, trust in the Lord. He is their help and shield. You who fear Him, trust in the Lord. He is their help and shield. So show God that you need Him, that you depend on Him, that you trust Him. Number two, create and atmosphere and attitude of gratitude and praise where in your house in your house listen to psalm 22 verse 3 yet you are holy O you who are enthroned upon the praises of israel i want to explain that verse to you the bible says that god is enthroned on the praises of israel the word throne when you think about a throne you generally associate a king with a throne right king or queen with a throne and when a king or queen sits on a throne, they are, they're in a position then to exercise authority. That's what it is. And the Bible says that God is enthroned on the praises of people, on the praises of Israel, on our praises. That is, it means this. It means that when you and I praise God genuinely, genuinely worship Him and genuinely praise Him, we establish the condition where God can come and rule in a situation, rule in our lives that his authority can be established, that he can do things that otherwise would not be done because he is on a throne to exercise authority. But the way that we create that atmosphere for God to come and rule is by an attitude of gratitude and praise. That when we're genuinely, I'm not just talking about mouthing words, I'm talking about genuine worship in our heart unto God. 
that we replace the grumbling and the complaining in our life with gratitude and gratefulness to God. Because gratitude and gratefulness attract grumbling and complaining drive away. When you create an atmosphere of praise in your home, when you go about your work with an atmosphere of praise and gratitude to God, when you go about your service to God with an attitude of gratefulness and praise that you serve the Lord with gladness, okay? That when that's a part of you, you're attracting the throne or the authority of God to work mightily and powerfully through your life. Isaiah 54. Sing, O childless woman, you who have never given birth, break into loud and joyful song. Circle the word sing. So this is about singing. This is about worship. Sing, O childless woman, break into loud and joyful song. O Jerusalem, you who have never been in labor. For the desolate woman now has more children than the woman who lives with her husband, says the Lord. Enlarge your house, build an addition, spread out your home, and spare no expense, for soon you will be bursting at the seams. There's a lot of things we could talk about. There's an historical perspective of this particular passage that we could look at, but I want you to see a principle that I believe that is embedded here. The whole idea is that when you sing, get ready for things to enlarge in your life. Number three, keep right relationships. The Bible warns us about letting anger into our hearts and lives. The Bible says that if we don't deal with anger the right way, in Ephesians chapter 4, the scripture says that we actually, if we let the sun continue to go down in our anger, we give a place to the devil. And there are people that instead of inviting the presence of God into their homes, because they're constantly angry, who are they inviting to their homes? They're inviting the adversary in. Hebrews 12, 14 to 15. Make every effort to live in peace with all men, to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one falls short of the grace of God. That's an interesting passage there, that we could actually fall short of God's grace, God's gifting in our life. See to it that no one falls short of the grace of God, that no bitter root, that's one of the ways that we fall short, is by allowing a bitter root to grow up, and then it causes trouble to us, and it defiles other people. Matthew 5, 23 and 24, Therefore, if you're offering your gift at the, at the altar, and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them. Then come and offer your gift. The fourth thing that we must do, Build God's house. If you want your house to be God's house, you must do what? Build God's house. I want to tell you another story here that will lead us to this passage that we're going to read in just a moment from Haggai. Give you a little history. There was a time in Israel's history when the nation had been divided. There was a northern kingdom, a southern kingdom. The northern kingdom was taken captive by the Assyrians. And then the southern kingdom of Israel went on for a period of time. It was known as Judah or the southern kingdom. And... Over a period of time, the southern kingdom continued in idolatry, and prophets came and warned them about it. Finally said, you know, if you don't change your ways, there's a king from the north that's going to come in and take you captive and lead you away. And they didn't listen, and eventually a Babylonian king by the name of Nebuchadnezzar came in and captured the southern kingdom of Israel. And Israel was taken into Babylonian captivity, is what we call it, for 70 years After 70 years, there was a Persian king that was raised up by the name of Cyrus. And Cyrus gave a decree that the Jews could go back home again. They could rebuild the temple. And so 50,000 Jews returned back to Jerusalem for the rebuilding of the temple. So they get back under the leadership of some of the folks that had gone with them there. Read about this in the book of Ezra. is one of the places you can read of it. Is that they began to rebuild this temple with the foundation. So they got the foundation laid and they celebrated the foundation of the temple. But after they had laid the foundation of the temple, they were distracted. They didn't do any more building. 
They'd been sent back to build the temple, but they'd only taken care of the foundation. And then everybody got busy building their own houses back in Jerusalem. And for 16 years, all they had in Jerusalem was a foundation. They completed the foundation, but they'd done nothing else because they were busy taking care of themselves. They were building their house instead of building God's house. Now, the prophet Haggai comes along at this season, again, at this period, after there's been this 16 years, a delay in doing what they should have been doing all along, and Haggai comes along and is sent by God to stir them up and to get them moving again. This, that's why we read this passage now in Haggai chapter 1, beginning in verse number 2. This is what the Lord Almighty says, these people say, that is, these people who had rebuilt the foundation but done nothing else, these people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the Lord's house. Then the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. Is it a time for you yourselves to be living in your panel houses while this house remains a ruin? Now, this is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. And then he describes our circumstances. You have planted much, but have harvested little. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. Go up into the mountains and bring down timber and build my house. Notice that phrase, build my house so that I may take pleasure in it and be honored, says the Lord. You expected much, but see, it turned out to be little. What you brought home, I blew away. Why, declares the Lord Almighty, because of my house, which remains a ruin, while each of you is busy what, with your own houses. What was God upset about? God was correcting their priorities. He said, I told you to come back and focus on building my house. But all you're doing, you're spending all your time building your house. Jesus said it this way in Matthew chapter 6, 33. But seek first his kingdom. It's God's kingdom and his righteousness. And all these things will be given to you as well. Number five, spiritually own the boundaries associated with your house. Give you a little explanation of this, and then we'll read Joshua here in just a moment. I'll reference you uh, to, uh, to Psalm chapter 91. We'll not read it, but I'll just mention it in just a, uh, in a moment. If you own a house, an apart, uh, a condo, a townhouse, whatever it might be, with the purchase of a house comes some, come some kind of plat, some kind of boundaries. You know what your boundaries are, okay? You know what's your boundary line and what your neighbor's, right? You know what you own and what you don't, right? And part of what you need to do is take responsibility for what's in your boundaries. Okay? You can't control what's outside of your boundaries, right? But you can control what's in your boundaries, right? You can't control whether your neighbor cuts his grass, but you can control whether you cut your grass, right? Okay? So the things within your boundaries that you can do, that you can't control other things, but you can control what goes on in your boundaries. And God wants you to own your boundaries, okay? Whatever's inside your boundaries, he wants you in him to utilize spiritual authority to lay claim to that for his kingdom. That is for me and my house, what? We will serve the Lord. I can't say what you and your house might do. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. So you've got some boundaries. And actually, they're... Off their physical boundaries in your physical house. 
And what you need to do is lay claim to those boundaries. I will tell you what I personally do. This is not some kind of mystical thing, and you can choose to do this or not do this. I'm just telling you what I do, okay? And I'm not laying this out as some principle that you have to follow. I'm just telling you again what I do. But there are times that I will actually, I know where my, my boundary markers in, our, in our, our, our piece of property is, where my wife and I live. And there are times that I actually go out and I will walk all the boundaries to our property. I'll walk around them right on the boundary line. And I just am praying over everything within those boundaries. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And my prayer may be different things. I may be praying for my children or my grandchildren or my wife or some aspect of things. But I walk around those boundaries and I pray over them. Pray blessing. There are times that actually we'll just get out and walk around my house. Or times that my wife and I will actually just walk inside our house. We pray and lay claim to the boundaries inside of our home. There are times that I walk around this particular facility or the property that we have here as a church or other places where our campuses are that I've literally walked around them and prayed over them. Now, do you have to walk for that to be effective? No, but you still need to take spiritual ownership of those things that are in your boundaries. And pray God's blessings and pray that the works of hell will be driven from them. Okay? Now, does that mean that everything's going to always go well with you and everything's going to be perfect in your life and you'll never have any problems or never have any disappointments? No, it doesn't mean that. But it does mean that you're inviting God to help you in the midst of whatever you face in life, that God is in your property. Okay? He's in your world, that you invited him in to the boundaries of your life. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Now, Joshua speaks of this. God speaks of this to Joshua, I should say, in Joshua chapter 1, verses 2 and 3. Joshua is about to take over as the leader of Israel, and God speaks to him and says, Moses, my servant is dead. Now then you and all these people get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I am about to give to them. As God says, I'm going to give you this land. There are going to be some new boundaries here. I'm going to give this to you. I'm going to give it to the Israelites. I will give you every place where you set your foot as I promised Moses. Now, God had made a promise, but Joshua had to walk it out, okay? It's one thing to have the promise. It's the other dimension of laying claim to it and walking out. You might say, well, what should I pray over the boundaries of my life? I would highly recommend that you pray Psalm 91. Psalm 91, just pick up your Bible, walk through your house reading Psalm 91. My wife and I have done this many times over the years. It's a valuable thing to do. Last point that we'll conclude with, and would you read together with me, practice personal examination and the welcoming of God's presence in your house through family communion. We have a table here. We pass out the bread and the, the cup and the juice. And we partake together around a family meal that centers on Jesus. That's really what it is. A family meal that centers on Jesus. And that little piece of bread represents the body that was Jesus' body that was broken for us. He gave his life on Calvary so we could have life. And the cup represents his blood shed for us so that we could have forgiveness. And so we eat of the bread and drink of the cup in remembrance of Jesus. It's not just a little ritual that we go through. It's just a quick, just a, just a regular reminder. It's all about Jesus, right? That's really what it is. It's a regular reminder. There's nothing mystical about communion, Okay. It's just a regular reminder that as often as we do it, that we're doing so in remembrance of him. Many actually communion tables that you'll see in, in some of the more traditional churches will say in, in remembrance. It'll say on the front of it, in remembrance of him. Okay. Now you say, well, we do that in church, and you're talking about something different, Pastor, maybe in 
my house? Are you saying that I can do communion in my house? Yes, you can, okay? And I found it over the years something to be very valuable. A lot of people don't realize that communion is something that you actually can do with your family. Actually, I've taken communion by myself before, okay? Just as a remembrance, because as often as you do this, you do so in remembrance of me. And so you don't have to be a reverend to lead communion. Isn't that good to know, okay? All you have to be is a believer in Jesus Christ, okay? You just simply read Luke 22, 19 and 20, and 1 Corinthians 11, 23 through 26, and say, okay, let's hold the bread, and let's remember that Jesus gave his life for us. I mean, you can, you can remember that, right? Okay? And let's eat together. You can do this, okay? And you can take the cup and say, let's remember that Jesus shed his blood for us so that we could be forgiven and have new life in him. Let's drink together. Perhaps as you have been listening to today's broadcast, you felt a stirring in your heart, something that reminded you that you need to get something right in your life with God. The first way to start in that journey with God is to open your heart to Jesus Christ, to make Him the Lord of your life, to turn over all your life to Him. And that begins with a very simple prayer. I want to lead you in that prayer right now, and it's a prayer that you can pray right where you are. Say these words, Jesus I invite you into my life today to forgive me of all my sins. I need you. I want you. I want you to take charge of my life. Be my Lord and Savior in Jesus' name. Now, if you just prayed that prayer with me, I want to encourage you with a promise from God's Word that says, when we call on God's name, when we call on the name of His Son, Jesus, there is salvation that is brought to our lives. He changes us from the inside out. And the Bible says that if any person is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things pass away. Behold, all things become new. And that's what's happened to you today as you've opened your heart to Christ. Let me encourage you. You need to take the next step. The next step is to make sure that you get into a good Bible-believing church where you're studying God's Word. And make sure you get a copy of God's Word and begin to read it. Spend some time each day in prayer. You've been listening to the teaching ministry of Practical Living with Dale O'Shield, Senior Pastor of Church of the Redeemer in Maryland. If you would like more information, please visit our website at church-redeemer.org. May God bless you and make you a blessing.